0: Welcome to Working Towards Our Purpose, a podcast that offers a different perspective on what a job can be. For everyone out there that's heard that voice in the back of their head asking for something more, it's time to listen to it. I'm your host, Gino, and join me as I interview people who have decided to work in their own purpose. Together, we will learn, become inspired, and hopefully find our own path towards working in our purpose. Hey, everyone. Thanks for tuning into this episode. And I'm really excited about today's conversation because I think that Ramona has a story that is really what I'm trying to get at with this podcast. And I think it's a very inspiring story and a very encouraging story. So I'm excited for you to all listen to it. So let's dive right in. Well, thank you for being here. Um, Why don't you start by telling us a little bit about yourself and your story and how you ended up at Love 146?
1: Okay. Sounds good. Uh, So I'm Ramona McIntyre. I work at Love 146. I'm the development manager there. And how I ended up there was, it was not a planned sort of career move for me. My family and I, so my husband and our two girls moved from California back to the East Coast. So we landed in Connecticut. We're originally from the East Coast. So we were moving back home. And in California, I was the CEO of a small chamber of commerce in a town called Pleasant Hill. It was great because I loved my job. I loved the people that I worked with, but it was it was incredibly stressful uh i was working really long hours obviously away from home a lot i missed a few things for my kids and things like that and i think that what made it the most stressful was was my boss was my board chair the board of directors one of them flat out said i don't like you uh which <laughs> which was really it was really uh nobody's ever said that to me before so that was it Took me ba- back um mm-hmm. and it was kind of hard to It was really hard to get over that for me. It just caused a lot of anxiety and panic every time I talked to that person and and went to work and had to deal with them. And so there I was chugging away a CEO and the pandemic hit. And then George Floyd was murdered. And my director of marketing at the chamber said, hey, I think we should address this. Uh, I think we should say, we're we're supporting BLM. the The city manager for the city of Pleasant Hill they had put out a message in support, and so had the the chief of police. And so we're like, yes, absolutely. We're an organization in the city that's important. We absolutely should pro BLM. Do all the posts. So the post went out on a Friday, Saturday. One of my former employees, who I had to let go, unfortunately, posted some really nasty comments about the post the pro plm post saying that that the chamber of commerce is supposed to be pro-business and that by supporting black lives matter we're being against business and that we're the reasons that there's all these protests and that the businesses are closed and and, and shuttered which obviously is not true and so that caught the eye of my board chair who's already didn't like me and was mm-hmm. looking for any excuse to, to let me go. Uh, and this was it for her. Uh, and so Monday morning I had the, she called a meeting with most people from the city and the executive board asked me to take down the pro BLM posts. And, um, and I, you know, it was like, it was, I was at this crossroads at that moment. And I, unfortunately didn't stick to my guns and i took down the posts and i immediately regretted it i it was this it, it was this really visceral reaction that i had i felt sick i felt apologetic i cried for days i had to apologize to my staff i had to have a big conversation with my children um and it wasn't it wasn't at all how i expected myself to to respond and to react and just to, I felt like I was just laying down and saying, okay, you know, which not what I usually would do. But I think at that moment I was just trying to be very, I was just trying to comply with somebody who already didn't like me. And I was just trying, I was like, I have to keep this job. And my husband said, why, why do you have to keep the job? And I was like, well, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm so important. I'm the CEO and people look up to me and I have a staff and we're about to refinance the house and all this stuff. And he goes, so (laughs) that doesn't matter, which was, which was really great of him. And, and so I wrote a letter to the entire board of directors and I said, Hey, this is what happened in this meeting. This is how I feel about it. I felt like I was really put into a corner and not given an opportunity. And I don't agree with what I did. And I apologize And then two days later, because it was COVID, so we were all working from home, I got a package in the mail that included my termination letter and my compensation package. So so I was out. And uh, yeah, so then I had to find any job. Then we moved to Connecticut, and uh, I was looking for another job. And I came across a job listing for Love 146 for for a development specialist, and it was not at all in a leadership position, which is what I wanted at that point, because I really felt like I needed some time to heal from like this trauma that just happened. And immediately, the first thing that I saw was that Love 146 is working to end child trafficking and exploitation, nothing less. That was a little scary because I thought, oh, my goodness, I don't want to deal. That's that's really heavy. That's really sad. But then I kept looking at their website and then they had this very big, very upfront DEI statement. So it was just their their commitment to diversity, equity, and inclusion, which I thought was was really fantastic at that point after everything that had happened. And then they just kept reading and about what they do and how they work to to end child trafficking. And they have these values that they posted on, on the website that I thought i had never seen an organization do that so it was like defiant hope and and steady perseverance and those were kind of exactly the things that i needed at that moment so i thought okay fine i'll apply i applied i got the job and it's been it's been fantastic it's a heavy topic we do care for for children who are survivors of trafficking and exploitation but but i get to make that survival happen for them. Not in a direct one-on-one way, but I I tell people that it's happening. I tell people about the work that we do. And yeah, that's how I ended up here. And it's been it's been lovely. It's been great.
0: Wow. That's an awesome story. I think the first thing that comes to mind is like the breaking point. Because I think that that's kind of like almost like what causes the change to, to actually happen. At least for me personally, it's like you have to be like pushed beyond your breaking point And then snap and then realize like oh why am i doing this like i don't have to be doing this let me change and do something else that makes me happy and um i think that like that's a perfect example of that so that's that's really great also aligning with like the values of like you left this place that didn't have your values aligned and then you found this new place that did and it seems like that was kind of the more important thing was the values that they had you shared so i think that that's like a really good also example of like I don't know how to find something that like you're going to click with and, and be happy at So.
1: Yeah. Yeah. A hundred percent. And I agree with that. Sometimes you have to get, sometimes you have to get real low to find that right perspective. Absolutely.
0: For sure. So is this the, like the first nonprofit that you've worked in? What was your previous history? Like, was it, was it the goal to work in a nonprofit or it just kind of happened? It seemed a little bit randomly.
1: Yeah. A hundred percent. It was, it was, it was really random. So the, the chamber of commerce is a nonprofit, but very different, you know, that was work more with businesses and like economic development versus working with people. I feel like I took like a super long road to get to where I am. I, I went to culinary school. I then went to college and then I was like, no, I don't want to go to college. And then I went back and I got my ma- my, my master's, my bachelor's degree finally. And I did food sales for a little bit. And then I did, I worked in the chamber and there was always a pull, like, what more can I do? Like nothing felt super satisfying. Like selling salsa was fun. I love going to supermarkets. I love food. That was really fun, but it was like, eh, for what? You know, there was no point. And so, yeah. And so after really like, yeah, hitting kind of a rock bottom and saying like, why am I spending 12 hours a day working at something that doesn't make me happy? Like what's going to make me the happiest? And it's, you know, it's helping other people and empowering other people really does make me happy. So that's kind of, it was kind of a long, winding road, but that's how I landed in nonprofits and it's been great.
0: Yeah. You know, I've definitely had a similar past and, um, you know, working just doing something because you know that's what you're supposed to do this is the job description but not feeling like it's connected to anything and just being super confused and being like what there must be more to this like I don't understand why we're doing this or like why I'm doing this Um, Mm -hmm. so that's definitely like an important topic I think is like the is there something more because I I always was asking myself that too is like this is this it like this doesn't make sense to me like I did I did the college I got the degree I you know I am where I'm supposed to be but it doesn't feel like it is it, so um I think that's that's always a good question to be asking yourselves, so would you say that this is the job that you like most feel in alignment with as far as like purpose and that sort of thing kind of kind of sounds like it is
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, it really is it's it's just it's fantastic for several different reasons, and I feel like right now it's my life is like really balanced not not only am I helping or I'm not helping directly, like I'm not a social worker. I'm not working with the children one-on-one, but I can, I can make that happen, you know, by, by raising awareness and bringing in donations and, and things like that. So that part of me is satisfied where I, where I get to help somebody else, where I get to have somebody have defiant hope and reclaim their childhood. I think that feels really, really lovely. And also I have balance in my life. So I was always brought up to be like. Well, sort of. My family came from Nicaragua. They were very much, they were they were a high society, very important family. And so when they moved here in the, to the United States in 1980, I was am the, o- the only person in my family born here, so I'm first generation. I still grew up in a very Hispanic household, very culturally Hispanic, but then also like having this like having to straddle to be like American culture too. So like for me, I was brought up. Like, well, you're going to marry somebody who's very successful, you know, and, and then my brothers were like, well, you're going to be very successful. So I find that I don't really want to be very successful. I've had Mm -hmm. that role. uh, And it was, it was cool. It was cool to say, yeah, I'm a CEO, but it wasn't fulfilling. And now I'm, I'm not as much of in that big leadership role, but it's, it's great. (laughs) Like, I I feel like I make a bigger impact and I have more time at home with my kids and more time for myself. I actually started a master's in nonprofit management because life feels so good, you know, right now that I could tackle that on. So, yeah.
0: Yeah, no, that those are really good points. Yeah. Just as far as like, I, I guess that's kind of like an American capitalistic mindset of like, oh, you need to have more and more. You need to be CEO, you know, all that stuff but it's interesting that you said you did like, you didn't find the purpose until you did maybe something smaller. And I think a lot of times that's looked at as like a negative thing. Like, Oh, mm-hmm. well you're only doing that. Like you're not, you don't want to be the next step on the ladder. You don't want to like, keep climbing. I mean, that's something that like, I, I think personally struggle with too. Cause like I, you know, I do a lot of like learning about business and like seeing what others did and that sort of thing. And it's always like you want to grow to as big as you can and you want to like maximize money and maximize profit and stuff like that. But, Sometimes you don't, sometimes you just want to like impact, like the, the impact is the thing that's the most important and not the money. So I think that's a, like a huge stigma, especially in this country. But yeah, that's, that's, um, that's, that's interesting. I was going to ask you a little bit later on is like, what do you do to continue like your growth and education and stuff like that? Um, so it sounds like you're going for a master's, which is cool. Is that, is there anything else that you do to continually learn?
1: Yes. Yeah, so the master's right now is taking up a bulk of of the my time. I'm an avid podcast listener and I listen to a lot of books on tape. So I like to take my dogs for a walk for at least an hour a day. And so listening to two books on tape fan- or so Audible is fantastic. Then podcasts are, they're literally the best. I'm always listening to one. So it's like This American Life or, oh, was it History Chicks, I think is super cool. Yeah. Nice.
0: I, like nice. I, I I do the same. Um, I have a audible and then I also have, um, there's a library app that you can use and you can like rent books. Um, but yeah, I love listening to to books on tape as well, or books on MP3. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I guess to ask maybe a, a broader question, like talking about like how people define success and stuff. And, and especially in this country, how would you describe success or like, how would you define success? What it means to you?
1: yeah that's really interesting. I think it's so I think that's such a personal perspective on on how you define success. I think some people still define success as and, and truly so they feel like well success is being at X level of of the corporate ladder and making six figures you know and living in this neighborhood and my kids can go to private school and that is success. And that's great. That's fantastic. And if you're happy there, then that's great. I think for for myself, I think having balance and being happy and being comfortable, not comfortable financially, but just comfortable in the fact that I'm not having a panic attack every day when I'm going to work. That is success. I was telling my boss the other day, I was like, wow, I've worked here for two years and I haven't cried once about work. I think that's success, you know, Uh, I enjoy going to work, I look forward to it. And I also really like it at the end of the day, when I get to close my laptop and just hang out with my husband or my kids and have that time that feels luxurious to me because I didn't have that before. So that's what I would define as successful.
0: Yeah, I love that work life balance, I think is definitely something you know, I would define it success too, and and not having to constantly be doing something for somebody else. So yeah, that's, that's definitely, um, you know, a good thing. So you, you did mention panic attacks. Uh, I did want to ask what part as like mental health played in your job and your, your role. Cause I know like for me certainly had like a huge mental health shift from like my previous nine to five to like where I'm at now. Um, Mm -hmm. so I want to ask what, what was that like for you?
1: it was supremely important. So at my, my previous job, I was having, I think, like at least a panic attack at least once every other week. And I would I would hide under my desk because uh, my, my office was all windows and we were on the first floor. So p- anybody can walk by and see me and also like staff could see me. So I, <laughs> but I, in retrospect, I don't think it was the wisest thing to like go hide under your desk it's kind of weird when your boss does that but that's what I that's what seemed normal to me at the time and so I would just go under my desk and and call my husband and be like I can't do this I can't do this and it was just it was this constant like pressure in my chest that I felt like I couldn't take a deep breath whenever whenever I went to the office and so and now I don't have that and I really really value that and it did take it did take a hot minute for me to get over that kind of fear, this sort of fight or flight that I constantly felt and for the ringing in my ears to stop. But but now I feel like I'm at a good place. And even in Love 146 as as an organization really pushes us to have really good mental health. And I think it's because we're tackling such a hard, hard issue that even if you don't have children, I think just it's kind of a punch in the gut when you hear that children are are being exploited in such a way and abused in such a way. So they really tell you like, Hey, take your time off. You know, if you need a mental health day, take it, you know, don't be afraid to say, Hey, (laughs) I need a breather. So I really, I really appreciate that. And it's, it's a good value that the the company has as well.
0: Yeah, that's, that's totally important. And probably not the standard in in most jobs out there <laughs> okay. so so that's that's excellent that they allow you to do that so you know as we're coming to the end of our time here um i did want to ask to specifically like what love 146 does and like if there's somebody out there that like wanted to help or or learn more about the cause like um what what, what can they do
1: yeah thank you for that question that's fantastic uh so like i said we are an anti-child trafficking organization We work in three different countries so we do work in the united states here in connecticut we have survivor care for children who have been trafficked and we have our prevention education program and that's in order to prevent trafficking so our mission statement is we journey alongside children impacted by trafficking today which is our survivor care portion and prevent trafficking of children tomorrow which is our prevention education portion so preved is our not a number program. And that's currently being taught in 28 states. It's part of a health class curriculum. So middle school, high school, where children learn what trafficking is, what grooming is, how to identify a safe person who you can speak to if you think that you or one of your friends are being groomed or potentially at risk for being trafficked. So the the goal with that is to stop Trafficking altogether to bring awareness to children, and then of course the survivor care portion. We have fantastic social workers who who work really closely with with the children here who've been trafficked, and our long term care is uh, it's a year and a half program, and and they do everything with the children to be able to help them and advocate for them and give them the resources that they need in order to fully to heal and and continue in their growth. And then in the Philippines, we have another survivor care program. And that's a full live-in program. We have two homes over there. One is the round home and one is the white home. Round home is for girls. White home is for boys. And we have children in all age ranges from two years old to 18 that live there and they get everything that they need in these homes. So healthcare, education, they have a farm, they have therapy there, they have a pool. I mean, like, Anything that a child needs, they can get in the, in the round home, in the white home. And then we also have a program in the Philippines, and no, I'm sorry, in the UK <laughs> uh, that there, it deals more with with labor trafficking. There's a big problem of, of children being trafficked into the UK and then um, being exploited for work. So that's the work that we do in the UK. And helping, uh, I think the number one thing that people could do is be aware that trafficking exists, uh, being aware that trafficking exists in our country and in our state and in our communities. Unfortunately, wherever there are people, there is trafficking. And and, and really knowing what those vulnerabilities are and and what potential signs are. You know, right now, since the pandemic, unfortunately, kids are being groomed online, you know, to, to be trafficked. Traffickers are smart. And they know how to get the trust of children, which is gross. And we really, as I think as adults, need to really learn how that happens in order to be able to prevent it and talk to our children about it. And yeah, and if you want to go a little bit further, then you can donate to love146.org. That's always helpful. And so those funds go directly to prevention education and to uh, survivor care in the Philippines and Connecticut as well.
0: Wow. That's awesome. That's, it that seems like a huge reach that, that you guys are doing and making a, I'm sure a big impact. So it's, that's great work and thank you for doing that. Um, and yeah, and, and, thanks for, for joining me today on the podcast and telling me about your story and, uh, thanks for being here.
1: Thank you for having me. It was lovely.
0: Thanks for tuning in and listening to working towards our purpose. If you like this episode, please share it with a friend and don't forget to subscribe for more episodes.